Hi, it's Bonnie here. I'll be with you for the next couple of weeks while David's away. Thanks for listening to The Leader. If you hit subscribe, you can get the latest news, interviews and analysis from the Evening Standards newsroom every day at 4pm. And if you like it, give us a rating too. From the Evening Standard in London, this is The Leader. Hi, I'm Bonnie Christian. London's West End struggles under Tier 2 restrictions. It was pretty catastrophic. I think probably about as bad as anyone feared. The Evening Standard's consumer business editor, Jonathan Prynne, on the double blow dealt to London's restaurants and bars. And... The number of campaign events that Trump is holding, you know, multiple events a day, crossing multiple states, which is very different than the Biden campaign right now. US politics expert Dr Julie Norman on how Donald Trump and Joe Biden are trying to swing the battleground states. Taken from the Evening Standard's editorial column, this is The Leader. In a moment, how Tier 3 restrictions could be better than Tier 2 for London's West End. Catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and right up to the end of the season when the winners of the Champions Cup will be crowned at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and the fight for the Premiership title will be decided at Twickenham. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe and download now wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. The normally heaving streets of London's West End were left desolate after one past midnight on Saturday when Tier 2 coronavirus restrictions were imposed as Health Secretary Matt Hancock designated the capital a high-risk region. People cannot now meet other households socially indoors. Our editorial column says it's critical the hospitality industry gets more support ahead of winter. The current situation is clearly intolerable. It is simply not fair that businesses hamstrung by government-imposed restrictions are being given no support to help them cope with the inevitable drop in custom. Proper financial help must be given to help businesses survive while we remain at the current level of restrictions. That will inevitably cost significant sums of money, on top of the huge outlays already made by the government during the pandemic. But it's needed because hospitality and other businesses need to remain viable so they can help lead the recovery. Closures and mass unemployment 
must be avoided, so the government must dig deep once again. Hospitality workers in London's Parliament Square on Monday banging pots and pans and holding signs that read, cancel the curfew. They're calling for more government support amid more measures to halt the spread of coronavirus, which top chef Yotam Otolenghi says have been badly executed. There's so many people who are dependent on the hospitality industry and all those livelihoods are at risk without the proper support from the government. The Standard's consumer business editor Jonathan Prin spoke with the owners of the West End's hard-hit restaurants. Jonathan, what did the first weekend of these new restrictions look like? It was pretty catastrophic. I think probably about as bad as anyone feared. The minute the announcement was made last week, they started seeing huge numbers of bookings cancelled. And that rolled through Friday into Saturday. And I think probably over the weekend as a whole, particularly in central London, West End, you'd be looking at restaurants with bookings down probably about 50%, late night bars, possibly as much as 70, 80%. I mean, it was, it was pretty horrendous probably the worst weekend they've had since uh, hospitality came back on July the 4th. It was quite nice weather at the weekend and people had the option to sit outside. But as we head into the colder months, what does the future of the industry look like if these restrictions continue? Well, it's pretty bleak. And he's, even Jason Atherton, who you know is a Michelin-starred chef uh, with an incredible track record of success, was saying he feared that huge swathes of the industry will not survive through the winter for precisely those reasons. Um, They've had three big hits now, the rule of six, the 10 o'clock curfew, and now the the no mixing rules of tier two regulations. I think each one of those would have been bad, but not, you know, not fatal, but put the three together. And it's just, it's just incredibly hard for them to operate at any kind of profitable level. They, They are all desperately trying to make the most of any outdoor space that they can. But as you say, October is one thing, you know, January, February is another. So I think they're all going to be extremely, uh, try and be extremely clever in how they try and persuade British people or Londoners who traditionally don't eat outside in the winter months to change their habits. And, you know, it's going to be heaters, it's going to be rugs, it's going to be blankets all through the winter, I think. One of the restaurateurs you interviewed said they were facing the worst of both worlds. What did they mean by that? Well, what they mean by that is in tier two, you have this huge knock to your revenue because people in different households can't go out. So that takes away a lot of your customer base, apart from families and households. So you lose maybe 50% of your revenue. But unlike tier three, where some businesses, bar, some bars and pubs that don't serve food are forced to close down and get compensation from the government in return, in tier two, no one is actually forced to shut down. So it doesn't trigger any government assistance. So you, you get that loss of revenue on the one side, but no support from the government on the other side. And I think that's what people complain about that makes tier two uniquely tough for businesses that are just trying to do the right thing. The city's leading business owners were out today protesting against the restrictions. What are they calling on the PM to do? They want the PM to address this gap uh, between revenue and, and government support by extending all sorts of measures to the hospitality sector, which could include uh, waiving VAT. It could include a, a more generous furlough scheme that's uh, aimed just at the hospitality sector. It could include help with business rates. There's all sorts of things that they are calling for grants as well that will be available to tier three businesses that are, that are shut down by the government. 
there's a whole range of measures that could help people survive through these next few weeks and, and months. But none of them are on the table at the moment, um, although obviously they are for uh, the tier three areas, which is Liverpool and, and Lancashire. And, and I think Manchester is about to go into tier three as well. None of that is available for London. And I think that's why they're so angry. They argue, not unreasonably, that they did everything that was asked of them when, when they were reopened to make themselves COVID-compliant, COVID-safe. Also, they point to the very small number of outbreaks of, of coronavirus that can be traced to restaurants and bars and say they are being clobbered unfairly and unreasonably and in a way that will put many of them out of business. Next. The numbers are certainly mobilizing the Trump campaign into full force in these last two weeks. The U.S. presidential candidates target the swing states. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and right up to the end of the season, when the winners of the Champions Cup will be crowned at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and the fight for the Premiership title will be decided at Twickenham. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe and download now wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. If you vote for Biden, he will surrender your jobs to China. He will surrender your future to the virus. The November 3 US presidential election is just over two weeks away, and both candidates have spent the weekend campaigning in states they're trying to flip. President Donald Trump began his Sunday in Nevada, once considered a battleground state, but has not swung for a Republican presidential candidate since 2004. Meanwhile, Mr Biden attended mass in Delaware before campaigning in North Carolina, where a Democrat hasn't won in a presidential race since Barack Obama in 2008. Lecturer at the UCL Centre for US Politics, Dr Julie Norman, joins me now. Julie, how did these states vote last time? Well, Bonnie, right now, both candidates, Biden and Trump, are really focused on the key swing states in the U.S. And those states are geographically dispersed across the United States. So we saw Biden in North Carolina which is supposed to be a, a major a state that will definitely be in play. Um, Trump, meanwhile, was having a much more active campaign over the weekend. Um, he had started uh, in the Midwest, in Michigan, and also in Wisconsin, and then ended the weekend in Nevada, in Las Vegas. And we expect him to move on today to Arizona. So all those states are really key ones. Both candidates will, will want wins in all of those places. And how did these states vote last time? So um, North Carolina is one that Biden is hoping to take back for the Democrats. It hasn't gone for the Democrats since um, since voting for Obama. In Michigan and Wisconsin, those states in the Midwest, in the Rust Belt, were states that narrowly, um, that Clinton narrowly lost to Trump in 2016. So those are states that the Democrats are hoping to take back as well. In Nevada, Clinton won, but by a very small margin. So it's one that Democrats are really hoping to hang on to. Um, And and Arizona is one that they're hoping to take back as well. And what are the key issues that Biden and Trump are trying to hone in on? How are they trying to convince voters? 
Yeah, so right now we see very different messaging from both candidates. Um, from Biden, we're really seeing a focus on the coronavirus, on the pandemic, on exuding a sense of empathy to the American people right now with how they've suffered not only from the virus, but from the economic crisis as well, and really trying to emphasize some clear plans and messaging around how he would address those conflicts or those crises. Um, But it was interesting in North Carolina, Biden also had a stronger message around racial justice. That isn't something that he's emphasized in all the states in which he's been campaigning, but he is hoping for a strong um, turnout from African-Americans in North Carolina and was emphasizing that point in particular um, around uh, reforms around criminal justice and whatnot. So that was something he was hoping would resonate in that particular state. Um, In Trump, we've seen much more of a Uh, a rally kind of atmosphere in most of the places where he's campaigned. That tends to suit him well and tends to resonate well with his base. So there's not quite as much direct policy discussion as much as there is emphasizing, you know, kind of excitement around um, around Trump as his personality, around him, uh, you know, kind of as, as, as a person in that regard. And again, trying to underscore some of those same issues, but uh, but in a much more rally like format. And so what are the polls saying in each of these states that the candidates are really focusing in on? Right now, you know, Biden is ahead by almost 10 points in the national polls. But again, it's these key swing states that make the difference for the U.S. elections. Um, right now, Biden has an edge in most of the swing states, but it's it's in the single digits. It's relatively small. It's especially quite close in Florida and Arizona. So those are two states that we expect to see a lot of focus Uh, in these next few weeks. Um, In the Midwest, it varies as well. Um, Biden has the largest lead pie right now in Michigan, whereas Wisconsin and Ohio are much closer. And Pennsylvania is sitting around a 5% Biden lead. And that's another quite crucial state. Trump is someone who likes to win. So how do you think these numbers are going to affect his campaign in the coming weeks? Well, the numbers are certainly mobilizing the Trump campaign into full force in these last two weeks. We see it in the number of campaign or the number of uh, campaign events that Trump is holding, you know, multiple events a day crossing multiple states, which is very different than the Biden campaign right now, which is being a bit more conservative, um, slightly fewer events, definitely more social distancing and fewer people at those events. Um, but it's interesting, Bonnie, right now, I think the Democrats are are also feeling a bit uneasy, even though they're ahead in the polls. This is such a feeling of redux from 2016, and there's a a real worry that, that you cannot ever be too comfortable and you, you can't take anything for granted. And I think Democrats are also making sure that voters still feel a sense of urgency and importance and don't feel that Biden has it in the bag, that they still need to come out and vote, whether that's by mail or early voting or in person. But this is not, you, you just cannot be complacent now is the, the lesson that I think Democrats learned from 2016. The debate is coming up on Thursday after the second one was scrapped. What can we expect this time round? So this will be the first time that the candidates have met face to face since the uh, very antagonistic debate back at uh, at the end of September. Um, this will be a similar format to that debate. 
Trump's aides have suggested that Trump will um, kind of go with with a bit more decorum than he did in the past, but that's that's always kind of a question mark with, with Trump. The debate will take place in Tennessee. It's moderated by NBC anchor um, Kristen Welker, and it will focus on right now the issues they're saying will be COVID, race, um, climate, and then some issues that we haven't heard as much about to um, American families. Um, American leadership, and also national security, which hasn't really come up too much yet in this election. So um, a little bit different in terms of the focus there. And that's the leader. Tomorrow, we have the first of three special US election episodes that will be running each Tuesday in the lead up to November 3. Tune in from 4pm when Evening Standard columnist Phil Collins speaks with Editor-in-Chief George Osborne on what to expect as we count down the weeks. Thanks for listening. 